some fun facts from the Iowa State Fair website. The heaviest pigeon ever weighed in at the fair was two pounds, seven ounces. The heaviest boar was 1,335 pounds. And the largest world Super Bowl weighed in at a whopping 3,404 pounds. The largest rabbit, 22 pounds and 5.5 ounces. Now, the largest attendance in fair history was last year at 1,117,398 people. During that time, 119 animals were born last year during the fair, while 91,657 people went down the giant slide. The hottest temperature, you thought it was hot this summer, the hottest temperature ever recorded at the fair was on August 16th, 1993, 108 degrees. And it just happened to be old Iowans Day. <laughs> the largest grandstand act was a decade before that, Sunny and Cher, with 26,000 people in attendance. Any of you there for Sunny and Cher in 1972? You don't want to admit it? All right. That's all right. What's that? Oh, oh, Marty Weaver was there. All right, all right. Over 70. Foods are available on a stick. More than 40,000 ribbons, rosettes, and banners are awarded annually. There have been three locomotive collisions during the, at the fair, during the fair. And if you unrolled all the toilet tissue stockpiled for the fair, there would be 1,818 miles of toilet paper, which is the distance from here to Los Angeles. That's a lot of TP. Now, one more fact. This one、uh, is just for our. Kids、uh, who went to the fair a few weeks ago、uh, to visit. We saw Sarah Pratt still working on her butter sculpture. And so, do you remember what year was most of the fair that she uses? What year was it first used? 2005. 2005. Yes, yes. And we realized、uh, that the butter was older than every JYF or Dinky <laughs> Disciple kid who was there. <laughs> Allie Lester was born a few months after the butter. But the same year. Yes, you better believe it. It was that old. I tell you, though, it utterly stunk in there. It utterly stunk. Was that too cheesy? I'm sorry. I know, I, I'm going to really milk it today as much as I can. But, but no, no manure joke. No more jokes. All right. Mo- moving on. <clears throat> sorry. Sorry. Andy started it. <laughs> All of, it, all of it, though, you know, it's really, at least for me, it's hard to believe. I, I could not believe this fair thing the first time I visited. We don't have 3,404 pound Super Bowls where I come from. But I know to you, it's rather normal. But the fair, it's, it's really, if you think about it, it is this interruption in the normal way we look at the world. At the fair, we celebrate fun and abundance, we let loose a little bit. We see the best of our state, as Marty mentioned agriculture, livestock, human creations all on display. And so many people come together to create the enjoyment, and so many, many more show up to see it. And in that crowd, as you walk around, yeah, there's people who look like us, but every line of division that may exist is crossed as we all come together and celebrate the wonders of our world, and there is so much to celebrate. And yet, and yet, this isn't the story we normally tell. The normal story is one of fear, one of 
that, that suggests that the world is just getting worse and worse. The violence is everywhere. Lock your doors, guard yourself, don't trust, don't hope, because there's terrorists, there's Zika viruses, there's violence on the streets, and there's poverty, hunger, there's political tensions that just get worse and worse, racial tensions that just get worse and worse. Watch 24-hour cable news, and it's hard to believe there's any good left in the world. It's easy to let doubt and cynicism just to take over. Go to the fair if you want. But it's just an escape from the real world. In the real world, there's so much need, so much suffering, so much fear. How could you celebrate? How could you hope? How could you even believe? Now, belief is the kind of theme of the passage that Margot just read for us. And it's kind of surprising, really, once you think about it. Because this passage comes right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. And certainly by now, after all that Jesus had done, you would think that everyone would have no problem believing. And yet here's this story. We skipped a few stories between last week's text and this week's text. But right immediately before our story today was that great story of the transfiguration of Jesus. When Jesus goes up the mountain, the core disciples are right there with us. Their eyes are opened and they see Jesus glowing with all his true glory. After that religious high, they come down to the rest of the disciples, and then they find a mess. A man had shown up while they were on the mountain. He had a son who was possessed by demons. The boy can't speak. He's had these violent seizures since he was but a little boy. His father is desperate, and so he, on a whim, hears that maybe Jesus could do something about it, and he shows up, but Jesus isn't there. Only his disciples. Now give them some credit. They try to cast the boy's demon out, but they can't do it. When Jesus arrives, the crowd is in an uproar. The disciples are just, (laughs) they don't know what's going on. And they get into this argument with the religious leaders. What a mess. And Jesus' response, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you bringing to me? That kind of sounds like something we parents might say to our children this time of year in the summer. How much longer must I put up with you? Jesus, like a parent to children, is upset at his disciples. The man interrupts him. If you're able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus, again, kind of exasperated. If you are able, all things are done for those who believe. Immediately, the father of that child cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And with that, that strange, honest reply from the father, Jesus commands the evil spirit to leave the boy, and the boy is healed. Of course, the story continues from there. Later that evening, Jesus, alone with his disciples, as often happens after these moments, they're processing what had just gone on that day. And the disciples ask, exasperated, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says one more strange phrase in this passage. This kind, this kind of demon can only come out through prayer. You faithless generation, I believe Help my unbelief. This kind can only come out through prayer. What's going on? Now, Jesus seems pretty upset at his disciples for their inability to help this man and his son. And he's taken aback by the man's response, if you are able. It's as if Jesus sees this whole world very differently than his disciples do, differently than we do. To Jesus, all things 
are possible, and you better believe it. But it's hard to believe, isn't it? Even when you believe, it's hard to believe. I don't know about you, but I resonate with what that man says. I believe, but Jesus helped my unbelief. Because in spite of all that you believe to be true, it's easy to give into cynicism and to believe that things are bad and just going to get worse. To believe that there is no real hope, at least not in this life, that what Jesus promised and what we pray for as we did just a moment ago every Sunday when we say the words of the Lord's Prayer that it is but a dream or maybe at most a promise fulfilled once we die, but not here, not in this life, in this world as it is now. Is there any hope? You can see why the man responded like he did to Jesus after living with a son suffering from such a terrible illness for so long. It's amazing he had any belief yet. And yet here he is showing up asking for help. Jesus sees something more going on in the world than the disciples see, than even this man sees. And so later when the disciples ask him about it, why can't we cast this demon out? He tells them this kind can only come out through prayer. And I'll be honest, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about. I read some commentaries and they didn't help either. But I'll give it a stab. This is what I think Jesus is saying. I don't think he's giving us a secret prayer formula. Just pray this and everything will go well in life. If it was, I could write a probably great book and sell a bunch of copies and we could all get rich off of it. But I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's pointing us to the very heart of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. To prayer, which is what it means to be a Christian. The language of a Christian is prayer, and prayer really is nothing more than hope. Hope in the midst of despair. Prayer is seeking a way through when you know there is no way. Prayer is choosing to believe even when you don't believe. The kind of demons that possess our world. These kind of demons can only come out through prayer, not cynicism, but prayer. Trusting in the midst of the face of evil, that God is still working something beautiful in the world and something new. Prayer is believing that God is always more powerful than the evil we face. This is the good news. This is the gospel we proclaim, but do we believe it? Now, it seems everywhere you go in the store lately, whether it's Target, Walmart, Hobby Lobby, everyone is selling something with this quote emblazoned on it. You can decorate your whole home with this quote alone. Believe there is good in the world. Have you seen that? Believe there is good in the world. And I Googled it. I tried to find the source of the quote because it's always unattributed. And I couldn't find who first said it. But there was this quote that I ran upon from Anne Frank. And maybe it came from her. You remember Anne Frank, that little girl who wrote the book, we all read it in grade school, The Diary of a Young Girl. She wrote 1930s during World War II while she hid with her Jewish family in Amsterdam during the Nazi occupation. And she saw a lot in her young life. The evil in her world was so much more palatable than what is in ours. And yet her response was this. In spite of everything, she writes, I still still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply can't build up my hopes on a foundation consisting of confusion, misery, and death. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the evil approaching thunder, which will destroy us too. I can feel the sufferings of millions, and yet, if I look up into the heavens, I think that it will all come right. 
that this cruel, cruelty too will end and that peace and tranquility will return again. It's as if she's saying, I believe, help my unbelief. If there is there still goodness left in the world, is there reason to hope? Is there reason to believe? Because there's so much that would say no, such evidence to the contrary. But Jesus asks us today, do you believe that he is able? Do you believe that there is good in the world? Do you believe that hate and evil and violence will not win? And do you believe that death cannot stop God's love? Do you believe that Jesus working in this world and working through us can bring good and can change the world? And your best answer may be like that man's answer, a simple, honest prayer. I believe, but help my unbelief. And if that's your answer, that, well, that's enough. Because that kind of prayer, that's the kind of prayer that casts out demons. That's the kind of prayer that changes the world. And you better believe it. Amen. And as we approach the communion table once more in celebration today, one more song request. Number 13, great is thy faithfulness. We'll sing our first verse and then we'll share in communion together.